So good to see everybody. If you're brand new, we've been in a series for the last two months titled God's Not Done. Everybody say God's Not Done. Come on, uh, the heart behind it. I'm not gonna give all the logistics. Uh, I've shared that for the last two months. Uh, I would encourage you to go back to week one. I share about the book of Daniel. Uh, the year was written uh, that Babylon is uh, in modern day Iraq, that it's a locality and then a mentality. It's a spirit in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament. Ton of information about the background. But I really just wanna share the heart of why I, this series started, of God's Not Done. And, and simply put is, too many Christians put a period where God puts a comma. Uh, and can I just remind you real quick, God's not done with the Bay Area. So many, so many Christians, I'm out of here, God's done. You may be done, but God's not done. You can put a period, but God's put a comma. Uh, a, a lot of Christians think God's done with them. God's not done with you. Can I read you a verse, even just encourage you a little bit today? Philippians 1, 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Everybody say finished. finished. Just so you know, if you're brand new to church, we all work in progress. I got junk, oh my goodness. I could preach for an hour and a half about my junk, but not today. None of your business, okay? Um, uh, another thing, uh, uh, so many put, people have put a period on the church. God's done with the church. God's not done with the church, okay? Uh, he has a purpose and a plan. There is breath in our lungs. We in the Bay Area, we're gonna proclaim the good news. We're gonna let people know that there is a God who sits on the throne. He's in control. Everything's gonna be okay. I read the end of the Bible, six, six books. We win. It's awesome. We party. Wine coming from mountaintops. Come on, who likes some wine? Come on, if you don't like wine, you don't have to go to the mountaintop with me to get the wine, but it's gonna be flowing, okay? Pinot uh, Mountains, Cab Mountains, come on now. Even some, 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 some Italian wines, I don't even know what those are called, but I know they're gonna be good. Uh, fine meats and cheeses, okay? If you're a vegetarian, you're gonna have to check yourself at the door. Okay, here we go. Um, God is not done. Uh, I'm gonna hear this real quick. Um, very few uh, series in my life where I can say this series for the rest of my life will change me. Change the way I pray, change the way I love, change the way I believe. And I like to say every series marks me, but, but for some reason in this season, at this moment, the series in Daniel has impacted my life profoundly. And when I went into the book of Daniel, if I could just be honest, we're concluding the series today, so I'm kind of reminiscing a little bit with you. When we went in the book of Daniel, um, I just felt like, oh, we're going to go in the series. It looks like the perfect series for this season. I was praying about it. I always pray through our series, plan them out about four months at a time. I kind of a year's worth of sermon series, but I let God, I write stuff in pencil because I'm not in charge. Senior pastor church, just a guy hanging out here, okay? And so I write in pencil, and then I allow the Lord really to lead and guide. And, and so I start uh, this series, but man, it has just, it's changed me because I knew the book of Daniel as the lion's den uh, book, you know? Daniel and the lion's den. It can be some fun stories to preach, you know? Shadrach, Meshach, and a Winnebago. I mean, the best stories are the best stories, okay? Um, but then when you really read the book of Daniel, you find out those are just the little fruits, but at the root of the, the book of Daniel, there is a man of faith a man of honor, a man of humility, a man of prayer. And if I'm being honest, those four things have marked me. I'm gonna be a man of faith and I want us to have a church of faith. Can I share a story with you about faith? Do you wanna be a church of faith? I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge, I call it the will, I call it wheelbarrow faith. faith. So there's this um, French uh, tightrope walker, his name was Charles Blunden, Charles Blunden. Uh, and basically he came over to America and he wanted tightrope the Niagara Falls, okay? So people show up. This was uh, big back then before we had TikTok and Instagram. Basically had maybe a handful of stations on TV. So this was big time at the time. Now I'd be like, well, whatever, tie roping. But back then it was big, okay? So George Blunden comes over to America, Niagara Falls, and literally walks across the type rope with the wheelbarrow to help balance him. And he gets to the other side. Everybody goes nuts. I mean, the guy's risking his life, okay? Um, and at the very end, he goes, do you think I can do it again? And everybody goes, yeah. Come on, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Solid, solid, uh, 9 a.m. And so, so he does again. Do you believe I could do it again? Yeah. And then he singles out one person. 
And he goes, do you believe I can do it again, Kahan? Yeah. yeah, thank you, Kahan. <laughs> Kahan goes, yeah. So then he asks, well, get in the wheelbarrow, and I'll walk you across. And then he goes, no. And what's fascinating about that story of faith is that God has split red seas. God has had Daniel survive in lion's den. God has raised people from the dead. And now it's our turn to believe God. And God's saying to the, uh, the church in the Bay Area Mission Church, do you believe I can get us to the other side again? And we go, yeah. And then he goes, I need you to get in the wheelbarrow with me. And you're like, ah, I don't know. You got the whole COVID thing going on politics. I don't even know what to say anymore, what to wear anymore, God. I'm just going to sit this one out. Maybe somebody else can get the wheelbarrow. Can I just tell you real quick, may the book of Daniel that we went through this last uh, two months, may you be a wheelbarrow type of faith Christian. God, I'm hopping, I'm hopping in. It's a big wheelbarrow. You can hop in with me because I'm believing God is taking us somewhere. I believe he's doing something in the church. So we're going to be a church of faith, the church of honor. Can I be honest? Honor is so lost today in our culture. In the Babylonian culture, honor was lost. Well, in the Bay Area, modern-day Babylon, if I could be honest, because it's a spirit, it's a culture, it has been lost. Daniel was a man of honor. We're going to be a church of honor. Here's why. Let me just put it this way. Uh, I used to think that I'll give you respect when you earn respect. I'll give you honor when you earn honor. But you realize that honor isn't a culture thing or a person thing. It's a spirit thing. It says in Daniel 6 that Daniel was a man who had a spirit of excellence. An excellent spirit responds well. I don't honor you because you're great. I honor you because he's great. And so I honor leaders. I, I, I'll be honest, I don't like all of our political leaders. I'm trying to find some I do like. Just kidding. It's got so quiet. I've got a ton I love. But here's the deal. I'm gonna honor all of them. I'm gonna pray for them. I want them to succeed because we're in the same boat. I live in America. So if they fail, I fail. I mean, I don't understand. Be like, I hope he just does terrible. No! Being a person of honor will transform your office place. It's, 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 it's heaven coming down. Come on now. I'm going to be a person of humility. Daniel was a person of humility. Can I tell you real quick why he's such a person of humility? Because over and over again, people would come to him for answers, and he always said this, hey, hey I don't have the answers, but I know who has the answers. Hey, I can't, I can't interpret dreams, but I know who can. Over and over again, he always pointed to the one who had answers. Right now in our culture, everybody just has their opinion. Imagine we stopped sharing opinions and we actually started sharing the gospel. Oh, what an idea. And last but not least, he was a man of prayer. All four of these things, I just got them in my back pocket. I got my heart. I'm going to be, uh, this is going to shape me. Simply put, he prayed three times a day. And I was like, man, that's a lot, Daniel. So I'm, I'm up in him right now. I'm praying all the time. I'm not counting, but I pray in the morning. I pray in the afternoon. I pray on the way to the bathroom. I pray in the bathroom. I pray in the shower. Don't judge me. You should do it too. Get off Instagram. When you're in the bathroom, just start praying. It's getting weird, Tyler. I know. I know. <laughs> There's just something about just being a person of prayer. You just need it. It's like oxygen. If you don't get it in your soul, you're not going to be able to breathe and run. Prayer is going to sustain you and have you succeed in this time. All right, let's pray. Um, I'm going to tell you the title of my message in just a second. I'm going to hold on to the title because, uh, uh, yeah, because I can do that. I'm the one preaching. Uh, bare heads. Uh, God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. Uh, Lord, thank you for just, again, the, the life of Daniel and you choosing him as a prophet to communicate the character and nature of who you are. God, we thank you that your, your Bible is alive and active. 66 books written by over 40 authors. And God, it is our light. It is our lamp. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the cross that you died on. We thank you that you conquered the grave. And God, we thank you for your goodness. Oh, you're a good God. Lord, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? So I'm kind of sick and tired of talking about this season. Anybody else? 
Yeah, like 20 months, you know, like, hey, what's up with this COVID thing? You know, I, just, I don't know. It's 20 months in. And, and so uh, throughout America's history, uh, there's been the Great Depression. There's been the Great Recession. And now they're trying to do this last 20 minutes and title it. So there's different articles. They're like, this season is called the Great Pause. And because the last 20 minute, months, a lot of people just paused and just waiting for their political leaders to say, you can go live again. And so literally, so many people have just been paused lately, living in their house, bunkered in their house, bunkered in a small routine, not living a normal life anymore because they are either fearful or they've gotten a new rhythm of living a pause type life. God didn't call us to pause. God called us to, the, the mission of the church, can I tell you, it never changed during COVID. We're gonna love people, we're gonna pray, we're gonna serve, we're gonna give. If we couldn't meet in person, we're gonna preach through a camera, we're gonna get into the houses. If you are paused right now at home, unpause. Okay, God never paused you. I'm not saying that you know, uh, if you have health conditions to come back inside the house. What I'm saying is you better be loving people. You better be serving people. You better be praying and believing for revival. You better not be sitting on the sidelines going, I believe God's gonna revive everything once COVID's over. No, this is not the great pause, but some people are calling the great pause. Another thing they're calling this season right now is the great resignation. There are more job openings ever in America. More people are quitting their jobs more than ever. More people are moving more than ever. Basically what happened in this season and people are like, I'm over it, I quit, I'm out. God never called the church to quit. Can I tell you something real quick? 20 plus seasons are marked in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a season to mourn, a season to cry, a season to die, a season to fight, but there's not a season to quit. You won't find it in the, in the seasons of life. God does not give us the option of quitting as believers. There's breath in our lungs. We're not resigning our post. The Bay Area, I love it. You love the Bay Area? Amen. I love it for all its flaws. That's what makes her beautiful. Come on, let's keep going. Okay. Is that one direction? I don't know. Um, another thing they're calling this season is the great divide. The great divide. Basically what's happened this season is more polarizing than ever. You have this camp and this camp. What's happened basically is this. If, you disagree, if I disagree with you 10%, then you're 100% my enemy. That's what's happened now in this season of life. Basically what happens is like, if you don't agree with this one thing during the pandemic, evil, I'm on this side. Only the way you can get in this side is you gotta agree 100% with us. So when that happens, guess what we lose? It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called being united over preference instead of a person named Jesus. And so the, the reason why our nation is dividing because they're uniting over the wrong things. You know, the enemy's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a unified church. We're not gonna have a great divide in the house. I believe that what God is doing in the house is actually unifying us and reminding us of why we come. You don't come because you agree with everything I think. I don't come because you agree with everything uh, I think. No, we come because we know that there is one person, his name is Jesus, and we're gonna proclaim the gospel. That's what unites us, one mission. That, hence, Mission Church. About to change our name to Unity, Mission Church, Unified During the Pandemic Church. <laughs> Sound good? Oh, just kidding. But here's what I'm gonna uh, uh, call this season. I've decided I'm gonna write an article, let everybody know really what the season's titled. And the title of the season is titled this, The Great Interruption. The Great Interruption. Now, this is God's character and nature, Genesis through Revelation. He is always butting in. I am an interrupter. Anybody else interrupt well? I love guessing the end of your sentences. Like people tell me like, yeah, so I was going to the store. No, I was going to the restaurant. You know? So we were uh, out yesterday at the, uh, the mall, the mall, the mall. Why? I don't know, but I just do it, okay? You know? And you know, sometimes people are like, yeah, you know, I love you know, that last word song. It's amazing. Actually, I was going to say the opposite. Oh, my bad. My wife and I, we actually have a signal because we both interrupt each other. One of my things I do, not only do I try to guess, but if I do know the end of the story, I just tell you. So Rachel will be like, yeah, so we were in D.C. the other day. I missed the flight. She's like, Tyler, that's the end of my story. 
know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I grew up as 10. She won the award. Well, Tyler, that's the end of my story. I interrupt all the time. So I'm a bad interrupter, but God's a good interrupter. I don't think God did this so we would pause. I don't think God did this so we would quit. I don't think God did this to divide the church. I think God interrupted, but if I could just give you a little bit more message real quick. The time of message is the great interruption, but the great interruption really is a great invitation. And when there is an interruption, it makes you stop. And there is an invitation from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that sits on the throne that says, there is more for your life. That there is a, what I call a U-turn that needs to maybe happen in your life. You were going this way. God interrupted you like, why am I living my life this way? I want to turn around and I want to live for God. Maybe it's a T in, in the road. You got to take a left. But there is something about God interrupting our steps. Turn your Bibles to Daniel 5. We're going to see the interrupter of all interrupters. God interrupts a party. He crashes a party. Belteshazzar is the king at this time. Uh, it's a, um, a party of all parties. Uh, this would rival any party in Vegas uh, on steroids. Um, I lived in L.A. A lot of celebrities had big parties. One of my favorite ones was when Puff Daddy was in L.A. And they would wear all white, and they called the white, uh, all white a whiteout party. And they would have like literally like everybody in white suits and just looking all flossy and clean. To be honest, I feel like they're trying to copy heaven because we all get white robes. There's just something about looking blameless and blemishless. And so this is the party of all parties. Uh, and now let me just give you a heads up real quick. Um, something I love about Daniel 5 too. I just want to increase my faith in that room today. Uh, this isn't my message, but I'm going to let it flow. Um, uh, for the longest time, uh, um, uh, what do they call them? The people who dig up stuff. What are they called? Archaeologists. Archaeologists uh, said that the book of Daniel was incorrect, that King Belshazzar wasn't a king there, and it was wrong, and Babylon never had this king. This season never happened. And so for about 50 years in schools, they're like, the Bible's wrong. Daniel 5 is not correct. There was no King Belshazzar, blah, blah, blah. And then guess what happened? They kept digging, and then they found it. And they're like, our bad. We just didn't dig in the right spot. King Belshazzar was real. The reality is, is that science literally changes their answers all the time because they're called hypotheses, which is just faith in their own things. So science has faith. And then like, oh, my bad, we were wrong. It was a hypothesis, aka our faith in this one, it was wrong. Oh, our bad, we thought we were wrong, we were right, but we were wrong. What I love about the Bible is it stays the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay? So Daniel 5 should increase your faith. Here we go. So many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in all the gold and silver cups that his predecessors, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank uh, from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So what is King Belshazzar? I got three questions. What is King Belshazzar doing? What is God doing? And what are we going to do? That's the three questions today. Great leaders ask great questions. Guess that makes me a great leader today. Maybe not tomorrow, but today I'm going to be a good leader. So what is King Belshazzar doing? Why the party? Why all the friends? Why the, why, why, hey, go get all the, the, the gold cups from Israel that we used to worship God. I want to use them to worship me tonight. Hey, go get all my concubines. Bring them in. A thousand. Hey, go get a, the, all the nobles. Bring them in. Why is there such a big frantic party? Let's do some research real quick on Daniel 5. If you know anything about Daniel 6, is that the Persian Medus army is on the outside gates. Uh, King Darius and King Cyrus. They are on the gates of uh, Babylon. Now, Babylon, it's a pretty impressive uh, um, empire. It was the most powerful empire under Nebuchadnezzar. They had 17 miles long of wall. 90 feet high, 27 feet uh, deep. Their gates were bronze, so you couldn't even burn them down. So there's a lot of cockiness and arrogance from King Belshazzar that nobody could ever take him over. Can I just tell you, big nation after big nation, they always had their fall. Every nation has their run. May we never be arrogant because America is number one right now. 
Just because we have this and this does not mean we're going to sustain forever. And so King Belshazzar has these gates, but he's starting to realize that their day is going to be up. Literally within a week, he knows he's going to die. I was going to title this message, When Death Knocks at the Door. Because really why he's partying is because death is knocking on the door and doesn't want to think about it. He's trying to distract himself. Because the Persian army is digging a hole where the river goes under one of the walls. So a river literally flew, flow, uh, flowed through the city. And they literally dug a river for months to divert the river to go somewhere else. So it emptied out the river so they could walk under the gates and get in. And so King Belteshazzar knows he's going to die. He don't want to talk about death. He don't want to process death. Can I tell you? Neither do you and neither do I. They do studies. I, I thought it was fascinating. 90% of people don't want to process death or talk about death. They did a survey. Would you like to know the day you die? 90% of people said, no. The one out of 10 of you that are really weird that watch all those true crime documentaries, you're like, yes, please. No, 90%. They also did a study. I was, I was, I was just doing a study on, uh, about death because it's interesting what COVID has done with us and, and the fear it's done to us. But another study they showed is that our brain won't even go there, a lot of us. And what they did is they basically took people and there's a part of your brain that it like basically goes off when you're surprised for the first time. You know, like surprise, bang, you're like, oh my gosh, in your brain there's a part that fires. Like, I didn't see this coming. Well, so they do this thing where they do flashcards and they test them and, and they, they are checking the brain out. And so they'll show stuff and then they'll show the, the person like uh, associated with their death and their brain will be surprised. Like, what, I'm dying? Like, like they didn't, like their brain doesn't even know that they're gonna die. Basically what the study showed over and over again, I was studying this, is that a lot of us, think that everybody else is gonna die, but we're not gonna die. We, we whistle past the graveyard. We don't think about it, we don't think it's, but the reality is, is that I've done the stats, 100% of us are gonna die, 100%. And the reality is, is that we don't wanna process it, and what COVID did is it brought um, another thing to our wall that says, I'm here to hurt you. And just like King Belteshazzar, we threw our own parties on how to distract and protect ourselves. Can, can, I, can I read you something that uh, C.S. Lewis, and to be honest, this is a tale as old as time. Mankind's been doing it forever and ever, trying to cope with this thing called death. And can I just tell you real quick that the world parties to forget, the world parties to numb, the world parties to basically distract themselves from the things that are coming, but we party differently at this church. We have a party every Sunday. You at the party right now. We do three things at this party. One of the part, things we do at this party is we worship. Why do we worship? To remind us that there's somebody who sits on a throne. We worship because we understand we're not of this world, but we're in this world. We worship because we know this. Life doesn't end here. To be honest, it kind of sucks. Heaven's going to be amazing. When I read about heaven, I just got my friend this book by Randy Alcord called Heaven. I started reading it again. I was like, man, heaven's going to be amazing. We, we, this is just but a breath, it says in the Bible. So we worship. Not only do we worship, but then we equip at our party. We equip. So they, they forget at, at, in the world when they party. This is worship. They, they do the party forget. We actually party to remember why we're alive. Uh, you're, I'm, I'm equipping you today. Hey, be empathetic. You're going to walk out of here with a new mission. You're going to be more focused. You're going to be on mission. There's something about equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And last but not least, out of our party, we, we, we give invitations out throughout the week. It's called sharing the good news. Those are three things that we do at our party. The reality is, is that death has been around since the beginning of uh, Adam and Eve when they started to sin. And so uh, I want to read you something, and I, wanna, I hope it encourages you. It's C.S. Lewis, and uh, it's during the atomic age. And it's a fearful time, again, in our world. Uh, there's a handful of things you can look throughout history that touch the whole world. World War II touched the whole world. The pandemics touched the whole world. So C.S. Lewis writes this, and you could actually replace the atomic age with the word COVID, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, uh, Delta, Lambda, whatever. Okay, here we go. Um, in one way, we think uh, a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. In one way, we think a great deal too much of COVID. Let's keep going. 
How are we to live in an atomic age, a COVID age? I'm tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you had lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night. Or indeed, as you already have been living in the age of cancer, syphilis, paralysis, air raids, railways, heart attacks, motor accidents, you name it. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, I love how he's so nice in this, why he's correcting us. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic age, let the bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint of beer and a game of darts. Mine would be a cab, whatever, um, and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they may not dominate our minds. And I love how he finishes, those who want heaven the most have served earth the best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. Let the bomb find you doing well. There's something to be said. This is unprecedented. No, it's precedented. It is. But for us, for the first time, we're experiencing something that made us just knock at our door. Death was knocking on the door, and the church has got to respond different. We have to. We can't re respond like the world. Oh, numb us, distract us. And now that you may not be partying. You're watching too many cat videos right now. Watch this cat, you know, watch this dog video. Man, I get on that YouTube and it distracts me and it numbs me. Come on now, that's my party sometimes. But there's something to be said about coming to Sundays and going, oh, I'm alive for a purpose. Yeah. God, there are no pauses. I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna love people. Let's keep going. So that, that's what, that's what uh, God was trying, uh, that's what Belthazar was doing. He's trying to numb himself from what's going on in the world. We don't numb ourselves. We remind ourselves we're here for a purpose. Does that sound good? So now what's God doing here? Ready? So what's God doing? Suddenly they saw a finger of human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. You know the term uh, writings on the wall? It's from Daniel 5. Uh, hello. Shout out to that one. Um, somebody liked it. Uh, the king himself saw the hand as a rope and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So you got to understand something. Belteshazzar's party gets interrupted. God's a party crasher, so what's he trying to do? I wrote down four things. God is crashing the party. He's interrupting. He is butting in. This is his great interruption. And so he comes into the party, comes into our party. Of, uh, everything was great. Do you know that I was in Maui a week before the 21 days of shutdown? Life was fine. That was great. Fine. It was fine. It was a fine day. Uh, I don't know why I went southern on you. Um, it, was, it was the best. And then out of the blue, bam, interrupted my life. Now, why would God interrupt? God doesn't interrupt to put a period he interrupts to invite. You'll actually see, I can't read the rest of Daniel 6. We'll be here for another hour. But what I can do is I'm going to show you what happens in this interruption. You'll see God reveal in the great interruption. Great interruptions reveal. You'll see in the great interruption, there's an invitation. You'll see in the great interruption, there is, if I could put it this way, um, what did I, how do I write it down? Uh, there is great decorations that happen in great interruptions. So the, the first thing I want to touch is in great interruptions, there is a great opportunity. A great opportunity. Uh, uh, the great interruption is a great opportunity, Daniel 5, 13. 
when God interrupts, he gives us the church an opportunity to share God's word. So bottom line, uh, you hear Balthazar say this. Okay, uh, and if I'm being honest, the reason why it's interesting, I, I, I could touch on this and I will, uh, is Balthazar is uh, in the party. He sees it at the handwriting on the wall and his knees are knocking. He doesn't know what it says. So if he doesn't know what it says, why doesn't he assume that he's doing great? Why doesn't he say, I assume that, well, it's God. And he's writing, hey, Balthazar, job well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> it's interesting. When God shows them our life, a lot of time, well, the first thing it shows us is how far we are from who God's called us to be. But don't let that condemn you. Let that encourage you because there's more for you. Condemnation is, look at you, there's no hope. Conviction is, look where you're at, but look where you can be. There's just something about conviction, something about God showing up. So God shows up and Balthazar's knees knock, he turns pale. Literally the, 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 uh, the, um, the translation is he fell to the ground because he was afraid. So that, that's the first thing that interruption does is it makes you realize that there's more in your life. So there's a great opportunity. So then he goes, I need somebody to tell me. Can I be honest? People are looking for answers right now. You know what Daniel does in Daniel 5.13? He comes and preaches God's word. Daniel comes in and he just preaches literally uh, what's on the wall, talks about who God is, preaches what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. You know uh, your, your, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he was a prideful man just like you, but he actually re repented and responded and he became a believer and he humbled himself. He starts preaching what God has done and what he's gonna do. You have an opportunity to preach this season. You may not have a microphone, but God will send you and the way you live, the way you love and the way you serve, people are looking for answers. May not read their Bible, but they may read you. There's just something to be said about the opportunity to have it. So the great interruption is a great opportunity for the church. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if we've seized it yet. I don't know if we've seized this opportunity and this interruption. There's something to be said about us seizing the opportunity. Man, let's lift up the name of Jesus in this season. Can I get an amen? amen. Another thing is the great interruption is a great reveal. If you see this in Daniel, you'll see in Daniel 6, uh, 5, 22, uh, he says this to him. He says, um, uh, um, you have been found wanting. I, I, I didn't uh, write down the verse, I apologize. Daniel 6, 22, uh, 5, 22, something else, forgive me. You've been weighed and you've been measured. So the handwriting on the wall, it comes up, it reads it, and basically tells um, King Belshazzar, hey, you've been put on the scale and you've been found wanting. You, you is lacking. And the thing you're lacking is, is Jesus. And, and if I'm being honest, the big reveal has showed the church what we're lacking. The, the great interruption will reveal things in our life. I, I, um, I wrote down this uh, uh, quote, it's from uh, Sheikh Rashid, uh, it was when the um, huge oil um, things happened in Dubai in the 1960s, and he said this, my grandfather rode a camel, my father rode a camel, I drive a Mercedes, my son drives a Land Rover, his son will drive a Land Rover, but his son will ride a camel. And it was reflecting on his concerns, basically, that once things get too comfortable, my son will not understand the toil we had to get here. And what I think about the, the, this great interruption of COVID for the church is that it's revealed a lot about our church. Can I, can I go back to the early church when it birthed in the book of Acts? Man, they had to labor. They had to risk their life for everything. When people were running away from sickness, they were running to sickness. When people were, uh, when people were being sexual, they were being pure. When people were being greedy, they were being generous. There's something to be said about that church. So then the church progresses, and the church progresses again. And then now we actually have the, the responsibility to steward the gospel and the church. God has given us that responsibility to be stewards. And if I'm being honest, if... The people in the book of Acts, Stephen and Paul, saw how we lived our life. They're like, what happened to the church? Because we had one little pandemic. Everybody scattered and started fighting each other. Friends aren't unified anymore because one's vaxxed and not vaxxed. That's what, separ that's what divided the Friends aren't friends anymore because one thinks of mass and no mass. Friend friends have been angry at each other because they're political beliefs. Oh, no, no, no. We back to riding a camel. 
We're going to have to learn how to fight again. Can I, can I read you a verse real quick? Judges uh, uh, 2.10 says this. After the generation uh, died, after another generation grew up and did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. What he says to um, Belteshazzar is this in Daniel 5.22. You are his successor, O Belteshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. What he's saying is, it's not enough to know about God. You gotta live for God. You gotta pray to be like your savior. You gotta live like, you say, hey, Belteshazzar, you knew about it, but you actually didn't live it. And a lot of churches, we, we know about God, but we actually aren't living the way God called us to live. Let me, let me show you uh, what, the, what the pandemic kind of did to us in Judges 3. There are the nations the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites. I think we're learning how to fight again. I think we're learning how to pray again. I think the, the great interruption has been a great reveal of, man, I thought I was a gracious person. I'm not a gracious person. I deleted my Facebook. I knew I'm not too gracious. I was on Facebook one day and this kid, I call him a kid, because I'm now older and sophisticated, uh, and probably 10 years younger than me, writes this stupid post on Facebook. And I told Rachel, I, said, I want to respond so bad right now. I believe I've seen the fruit that when you respond on Facebook, minds and hearts are changed, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been called to the social media atmosphere. I've been called to the ring. I'm going to change the world. And Rachel's like, don't do it. And I was like, I'm doing it, Rachel. I'm, 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 I'm going full political, full preference. I'm letting the world know. I'm doing a live Vincent story. People got to know, you know? I'll do that once in a while. Rachel's like, no, Tyler, no, no. Like, we literally do that in the house. Put down the phone. I'm like, I'm doing it, you know? I have these moments. And so... So finally, I, I deleted my Facebook because I'm not as gracious as I thought because stupid people drive me nuts, okay? Can I say it? Mean people drive me nuts uh, because I'm the smart one and I'm the kind one. And I'm the, no, I'm not. I'm the stupid one also. What's so funny about social media and arrogance is that we think everybody else is off and we're the one on. Ooh, that's a bad place to live. There's one person who got it all right and we killed him. And so, so for me, I said, Rachel, I can't handle two social medias. I'm deleting Facebook, and on Instagram, I'm just going to post things about Jesus and church and then walk away from it. <laughs> hey, church tomorrow, I'm done. <laughs> hey, hey, join us for pre-service prayer. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I like your picture. Okay, see you later. You know? like, that's all I'm doing now. Because the reality is, is that we have been revealed as ungracious opinionated, arrogant. Woo! Most of the people on my Instagram, I'm not a big Instagrammer, are all Christians. But I don't see like humble and honoring and celebratory. Oh, everybody just sharing their opinion. May we, may we have an understanding that we have to learn how to fight again and love again and serve again and be kind again and celebrate again. There's just something to be said about that. Amen? So the great... Um, Interruption is a great opportunity. The great interruption is a great reveal. The great interruption is a great invitation. But the invitation must have a great declaration. A great declaration. You'll see this throughout the Bible. God, God doesn't only interrupt Belshazzar's party. He interrupts Peter's life. He interrupts Joshua's life. He interrupts Moses' life. Moses is walking around, burning bush, boom, interrupted. This is what he does. And so this great interruption is a great invitation for a great declaration. So, so what is God doing in your life? I believe he is trying to create a moment for, to invite you, but not just invite you, but for you to declare why you are alive. Joshua gets interrupted, and at the end of his inter uh, this interruption and invitation, he declares this, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Something about declarations when you get an invitation. I've had four interruptions in my life. I'm going to be a little personal. I'm going to share a little bit of my, my own interruptions with you. Uh, I was 17 years old. Uh, hoops was my life. Um, I, I was decent at hoops, good at hoops, you know, I was 
above average, I could say. A, you know, a good D2, D3 recruit. Woohoo! Um, nothing special. Um, I could dunk on a good day. Other days, you know, I pulled a hammy. Um, but hoops was my life. Good game, I felt great. Bad game, I felt bad. And that stuff, you don't deal with it, it becomes your career. Good day, career, uh, good day. Bad day, career, bad day. If it's not that, it's, it's, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. I remember getting my girlfriend, and we had a good day, I was good. Those things owned me. Oh, I was on the roller coaster of life. I remember coming into my bedroom at 17, had some friends who just got saved, prayed for me, and I literally fell to the ground, you can say like Belteshazzar, weeping over everything that I was at that moment. I just felt so inadequate. I felt so, I mean, depression. I, you know, I was struggling with lust, you name it. I remember just bawling my head off saying, I know I'm not supposed to live this way. So for two hours, I'm just crying. You know, one of those cries where you take a look in the mirror, because <laughs> you got to see yourself like, what do I look like right now? You know what I'm talking about? It's like one of those moments. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I'm crying. I called my girlfriend up, and that, at that moment when God invited me to live for him, I said, God, I'm going to be, I don't know why it was, but my declaration that day was like, I declare I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be a holy person. God, I, just, I, knew, I didn't know a lot about God. I knew holiness was a big deal to him. Now, can I just tell you, holiness is not a religious thing. Holiness is set apart. Holiness is saying, I'm going to live for something else. I didn't know that at the moment. I thought holiness was religious. I was kind of legalistic at the very beginning. I didn't know the Bible. Read the Bible, you're going to get set free. Read the Bible, you're going to love, love your life. You don't read the Bible, you're going to think things are very religious. Anyways, so I was like, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be pure. I declared it that day, so I called my girlfriend up, and we were dating. Now, I'll be honest, uh, I was uh, one of the uh, only two versions on my basketball team. Um, I was waiting to um, um, have sex until I got married. A lot of information today. I hope you like it. Um, uh, got married, 29, a virgin, just keeping it real. Let's keep going. Um, so I remember calling my girlfriend up, but we were fooling around. And I call her up, and I'm leaving. I just repent. I'm like, baby girl, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I need to honor you. She was a Christian. She was a really sweet Christian girl. One of the reasons why I was actually uh, a virgin in high school is because she was the one like, no. And so she guarded my purity for me, to be honest. And so I remember calling her up and saying, I'm so sorry, we should've never been fooling around. I'm just, I'll never do it again. Like, I'm gonna honor you. You are God's princess. I was doing all the Christian things. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna, we're gonna pray together instead of fool around. Like, I'm gonna ball my head off. I declare, and, and we got to, she's like, are you okay? Like, she didn't know, like, she didn't know what's happening. <laughs> to be honest, when you get interrupted by God, nobody else knows what's going on. Because it's between you and the Lord. And so I declared that. I declared purity. And for two weeks, I was as pure as all get out. But by week two, day one, I had failed in my declaration. And I had made excuses why I failed. So I remember I got in this cycle for about two, three years where, you know, uh, my high school girlfriend, we dated for a year. And I'd, I'd, I'd be like, no, we can't. We, we're not supposed to fool around. Oh, no, we fooled around. Oh, no, a month ago. Oh, we fooled around. And, ah, and I, just this terrible thing. But I, but I always say, Lord, I declared, though, I'm, I'm going I'm to stop. I'm going to stop. So then I, we, my, my high school girlfriend, we break up. Uh, and then uh, there's a point to this. Uh, trust me. Uh, like, <laughs> What is happening at church today? I'm about to encourage some of you that have been going through the same cycle. Just you just buckle up. And so then I, I started dating some other girls. And guess what happened? Uh, I would declare purity, but then I fool around again. So at age 20, I remember saying, God, I declared it, and I'm saying it, but I got to change some things in my life. And so I created some new boundaries because I realized if I just kiss a girl, I'm getting on that slide. I'm going all the way, uh, whatever my flesh tells me. That's just how it was, okay? And so I remember saying, I, I, at 20, I was like, I'm not kissing till I get married. I added that to my arsenal. Thinking I get married at 21, I was a decent looking chap. I thought I was, you know, great with the ladies. Nine years later, um, uh, nine years. But when I made that declaration, and the other one was this, Lord, I'm only gonna date girls who really love you. I was dating girls who liked you, that went to church because they liked me, but I'm gonna only date a girl who is all of, she, I want her to love you the more she loves me. I wanna I want date a girl, God, where I go, man, she loves God. So, so I would only date those girls. 
Man, that is slim pickings. Nine years. Dating a girl about every three years. And then I tell the girl, hey, just give you a heads up. I made this declaration. I know it's weird, but I, we're going to date. It's not because I'm not attracted, but I'm, I'm not kissing until I get married. And some of them are like, huh? And some of them are like, like, oh, no, I get it. All good. And they think like th three months in and we'd start kissing. I'm like, no, no, no. I got five years in. I, I made a declaration. I told God he invited me to live differently. I'm living differently. I'm set up, uh, and, 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 and we would date. And, and so uh, nine years went on. The first girl I kissed after that declaration was a girl named Rachel Johnson. I married her. Come on now. <laughs> Pray for her. It was nine years later. <laughs> Teach me. Get it. Did, I, did, I, did I go there? I went there. I went there. Oh. Oh, it's too far. Too far. Some of you are going to go, I love church today. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> Fine with me. You're religious. See you later. <laughs> Woo, I did it. I did it. Uh, I'm 20 years old. I'm 20 years old, and I have my second interruption. Only four big interruptions in my life changed my life. So I get saved, and I basically, um, you know, declare that. But what happened in the next three years of my salvation is I kept bringing my plans to God and interrupting God. And so for three years, I just had plans. God, I'm going to be a college basketball coach, uh, and it's going to be awesome. Okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I always just bring my plans and tell them, like, do this. You know, I bring, you know, this girl, she's going to be my wife. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And at age 20, I'm sitting in the second row. And again, just a normal day. Some of you, you thought today was a normal day, but you're sitting in a row. You will never forget it. I remember sitting in that second row, and God interrupted my life. And he said, no, 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 you're not doing that. I'm calling you to ministry. And I remember, and again, at age 20, when I was 20 years old, 2000, whatever, there was no social media. Every pastor I knew was poor. When he was calling me to ministry, I thought these things. Okay, I was raised on food stamps. I was raised poor. You prepared me for this. I can be poor for the rest. You got to go. Yes. A great interruption was a great invitation. And I remember declaring to God, I will go anywhere and I'll do anything and I will live any way. You call me to live, I will go anywhere. And I remember my first job for in youth ministry, he called me to Tum Tum Water, Washington. 10,000 people, people where Carhartt, I know what Carhartt was, they all hunt, they all had cows, you know, and I remember going to Tumwater, I made 100 bucks a week, and in the first year, I wanted to quit. I wanted to eject out of ministry. I was like, I'm just gonna go be a high school teacher and a college, uh, high school basketball coach. I do not wanna do ministry anymore, this is way too hard. So many people are unkind, so many people are opinionated. I wanted to quit. And I had to go back to my declaration. I said, God, I said I would go anywhere and I would build your house. And because of that declaration for 17 years, I've had unkind people come to church. I've had unkind pastors. I've had people come to my life and they will not take away what God said for me to do. Don't allow somebody to steal what God called you to do. It's so, oh, don't let it happen. Declarations, invitations, they will shape your life. They will guard your, your mission. 34 years old, I move up uh, to um, this area around 30, uh, 29, 30, and I'm 34 years old, and I'm going back to L.A. Uh, to plant a church or work at a church. I loved L.A. I, was, I thought it was L.A. till I die. You know what I'm saying? Tupac, let's go. I mean, I loved L.A. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so um, I remember driving around this area, and I was crying so hard, one of those cries again where you just felt like God was doing something hard, and I'd pull over, and I told God no. First time in one of the interruptions, I said no. I'm not doing it. This place is hard. Like, I, I know the area you're calling me to. It's the least churched. A lot of people have different mindsets. I don't know any church that's doing well. I know only a few that are barely, you know, there's only, I think there's one over a thousand in that area, Lord, and there's a million people in this little area, and the rest of the church is about 70. People don't like you here. Can I go somewhere where people like you? I won't do it. Second time, he interrupts me again. 
Took him three times. He's kind. Isn't God kind in his interruptions? And just over and over, that I, I could have missed out on this. I remember once he really got my attention, I remember Rachel and I were driving to Pebble Beach, and I had to pull the car over because God did it. We just didn't, sometimes interruptions, they don't plan. I, just, I, had to, I bawled. She had to drive. I was bawling. I told her, and it was a wee thing. We decided we're going to stay here. And um, if I didn't have that decoration in my heart, how hard this season has been in Rachel's life has been hard, but it's been so sweet. Um, Rachel came home from a, a meeting with a, a gal from our church, and so many people are just over the Bay Area, and they're done with it. But I declared, it, you plant me here, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, never, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving! <laughs> Rachel comes home, she goes, one of our friends, uh, you know, they feel like everybody's leaving. She's going to get a California tattoo. I got zero tattoos, by the way. I looked at Rachel and said, first tattoo, we're getting a Cali tattoo. Cali till I die. Maybe, maybe a California poppy on my back. I don't know, something. You know what I'm saying? Maybe on my bicep, just like poppies all the way around like a barbed wire. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or maybe just like 925 and a Bible verse. I don't know yet. But because of that decoration, 925 is the code. Uh, because of that decoration, I'm not leaving. The COVID, pandemic, half the church just disappears. I'm not leaving. The next 30 years of my life, I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. A place everybody says, oh, I mean, it's so funny. We were at a pastor's conference this last week, and uh, uh, we were in Alabama the week before, and then we were in South Carolina. And you tell people you're from California, they're like, what's it like in California? It's like a different country. Could I even get in without papers? Like, I'm like, I'm like oh, my gosh. Like, like they, 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 and I was like, oh, it's scary. <laughs> I go wine tasting on Fridays. And, 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 and I, go, I go on trails that overlook gorgeous hills. It's terrible. Stay away. There's something to be said about knowing where you're called and why you're called. And then my last interruption was last year during uh, the pandemic. And I'm going to finish in about five minutes. Is five minutes okay? Can we go five more minutes? The people who already had left, left. They were over there. They walked out. So <laughs> it's weird as a communicator, like, bye. We got 15 more minutes. Um, so one of these days I'll do it to somebody. Anyways, um, so just, uh, I'm going to do it one day, so be careful if you leave in the middle of service. <laughs> Could be you. Just kidding. Um, so when we decided to plant a church uh, in Walnut Creek, uh, I remember you know, we had seven venues our first, like, ten months. Just because Walnut Creek, like, just hard to find a venue. You know, it's, it's not really church-friendly. Even the permitting, it's really hard to find a place to be permitted for church. Permitted for everything else but church, to be honest. If I could just be real with you. And I get it. If you don't know the Lord and you've been to church, you don't see value in church. Why would you? Like, we don't need churches here. We need this here. We, you know? So I don't expect somebody who doesn't know the Lord to fight for the Lord. Okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm down for this battle. I'm down to show them that Jesus is important and valuable and the church is a great thing to have. So anyways, I, uh, I remember telling the Lord, like, Lord, whatever building you put us in, we'll, will you fill it with people? And, and not only will you fill people, I'll preach as many times as you want me to on that day. I'll preach five times, ten times, fill with people, and I'll proclaim the good news. So my prayer was always filled with people. That was my declaration. God, you, you, you put us in a place, I'll preach, and, and we'll love people, and we'll build your house. Pandemic happened. And the one thing I promised him I would do, well, I could not do anymore. And it was weird. And I felt like God was interrupting my life with an invitation and a declaration for when we birthed Mission Church 2.0. My, my prayer changed, and my values changed, to be honest. I was missing some things. And now my prayer every Sunday and every week is, God, if you let us in a place, we will fill it with your presence. It's your presence first, God. Why do we have Monday prayer? 
because it's about his presence. 10 people, I don't care, 30 people. I want God's presence to fill this place. Why Sunday at Shaylin's? Because I want God's presence here. And when God's presence here, trust me, God's people are going to be here. Oh, his presence is the most important thing. And I, I'm kind of shocked I missed it. But his interruptions are so kind. I loved the interruption of COVID. I'm a better pastor because of it. I'm a better friend because of it. I really believe the church is going to be better because of it. Can, can I finish with how good of an interrupter God is? And uh, I'm going to invite uh, just Lisa to come up. Give me some, give me some sparkles. Um, so I told you I'm a bad interrupter, but God's a great interrupter. And you read the story of King Balthazar, and if I'm being honest, like, it's like, oh, that guy, like, I would never do that. Like, like, I mean, that's, I, I, that's, I don't relate with Balthazar. I, I relate with Daniel. And isn't it funny whenever you talk to a Christian, they always relate with like the best people in the Bible. Yeah, I feel like I'm Moses, you know? Yeah, I probably, I'm probably David in the Bible. You're probably more like Saul, to be honest. You know? I, I think I'm Daniel. No, you're probably more like Nebuchadnezzar. You're super prideful. But never do we ever picture ourselves as those ones. But the reality is, is that if you read the Bible and you understand what you came from, you can identify with Balthazar and Nebuchadnezzar more than you ever thought. I relate with them so much before I found the Lord. And Ephesians 2, it kind of shares the same kind of vibe of Daniel 5. It kind of mirrors it. Shows that we were having our own party, all of us. And it says this, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Belteshazzar was dead. In his disobedience, bring me, bring, I, I want to worship myself. Oh, in a sense, he's like, oh, just more sin, more sin. So he said, all of us were like that. Keeps on going. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, just like Belteshazzar used to live the same way, it's saying. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. All of us. It says, not, not some of you, all of us lived like Belteshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, you name it. We all lived like that. Following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. If it feels good, do good. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Not presence of God, but pleasure. By our very nature, we're subject to God's anger just like everyone else. I love that God said, so basically what it's saying is this, is you were so good at sinning. It's basically saying, hey, for, for, for uh, four verses, hey, you are great at sinning. Hold on. No, really good at sinning. Like, uh, really, really good. Like, like, everybody else is great at sinning. So are you. Aren't you glad that we're great at sinning, but he's even better at saving? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, I, I want to read this to you. And here comes God's interruption. He just butts in. But God. Everybody say, but God. I love when God butts into our life. But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, because we were partying, doing all things, no, but he butts in, he says, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's it. Grace will save you and sustain you. Come on, let's keep going. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God points to us in all future ages as examples of this incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. We are his kindness he points to us like, you want to know why God's so kind? Look at my life. All of my other uncles, alcoholics, some are walking around freeways, homeless, divorces everywhere. The only reason I have this life is because of his grace. My family heritage doesn't point to this. His grace points to stuff like this. Can I show you some other things? God would love to butt into your life. Can he interrupt? Can I tell you right here? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's another but. For what you've done in your past your future should suck. But God butts in and your past and says, not period, comma, promises, abundance, life, love, joy, restoration. 
if you would just allow God to butt into your life and say, now let's do it my way. Ooh, for the wages of the way you lived is a bad marriage, a bad mindset, depression. Ooh, but I'm gonna butt in and I'm gonna give you all of heaven now. Allow God to butt into that. Let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except such as a common demand. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. This week, you're gonna be tempted to live the way you wanna live. And it says, but God is faithful. He's ready. Hey, he's like, hey, let me butt in. You're like, oh, I'm gonna do this. The guy's like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I'd, love to, I'd, love to, I'd love to actually have you not do that again because that unhealthy rhythm is stealing from you. Sin's kill, sin, sin destroys. Let me butt in and actually do what you're called to do. Allow God to butt in when you're about to sin this week. Let me give you another one where God loves to, to butt in. Jesus looked at them and said, with this man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Will you allow God to do God things in your life? That you would go, it's, it's over. God, could you interrupt this over? The Bay Area, it's impossible for revival. The numbers aren't there. The desire is not there. Nothing's there. But with God, all things are possible. God's going to interrupt in the Bay Area. We're going to see stuff happen. Come on now. Can, can, I, can I share another one with you? Okay, I will. Um, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. Will you allow God to interrupt your weakness and your complaining and say, hey, I get your weak, but I'm really strong. Hop on my back. I'll get you where you need to go. Or maybe we'll use the wheelbarrow. Hop in the wheelbarrow and I'll get you where you need to go. I'm gonna do one more and we're done. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me. I think one of the biggest things in our life is, is how many times we've been hurt by people. How many bad decisions we made and hurt ourselves. And Joseph, uh, Joseph literally says, hey, this is all intended here, but God butted in and he meant it. He's gonna use it all for good. A lot of you, you've been hurt by people. And if you allow God to butt in, he can take all that junk that you don't think can actually be restored and he can use it all for good. It's an amazing thing. I'm gonna do one more. I got a lot of these because God likes to interrupt a lot throughout the Bible. My last one. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. Basically, Jonah saying, I was super depressed. I was in despair. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. And this week when you're depressed, when you're down, will you allow God to butt into your depression? Will you start praying and allow him to pull you out of the pit? When you're depressed, the last thing you should do is walk away from God. The first thing you should do is start praying and worshiping God. And just like Jonah will say, when I was in my pit, he, what kind of king leaves his throne to go to a pit to pull us out? It's a good, good God. Can I pray for you, bow your heads? Honestly, first time, second time, third time at church, but we always ask this question. We pray for it every Sunday. If you want to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to curse, you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. With every head bowed and eye closed, you want to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart like it says in Romans, and be saved. The way we do that is responding. The way we respond is we raise our hands. So if that's you, raise your hand real high. I want to pray for you. You want to say yes to Jesus today? I see you. That's a great decision. Come on now. I want to pray for the rest of us. God, I, I thank you for this house. I thank you for your great interruptions that really are great invitations. And so, God, this week as you interrupt us, may we not look at it as an inconvenience, but may we look at it as the greatest opportunity to live for you, to love like you, to serve like you. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Hey, Mission Church, I love you. I'll see you next week. Start a new series next week. Come on now. It's going to be fun. God bless you. Go change the world.